Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Super Tea Podcast Show. I hope all is well, everyone is well. (coughs) So today, I'm going to touch on a very sensitive subject. Um, Something that trended this year. And a lot of people were feeling confident stand up and to talk about it. We've had even celebrities um, get up and talk about the things that they faced. And then it's, people stop talking about it. People are basically wrapped up in the elections now. But this is a very important subject. One that typically requires some deep self-reflection and healing and you know hurt people hurt people and it's sometimes very challenging for people to actually go really deep within you know um but you know abuse is something not to shy away from but to survive and once you survive You know, don't just never reach back to assist another in their survival of it. So many melanated, black, indigenous, whatever title you want to give the brown people of the world have went through so many abuses physically, spiritually, sexually, you know, and people are speaking about it. It's not taboo no more. It's not something that your grandma's like, hush, don't you don't you bring our family business out into the world. Something now that people are sharing with the world and with each other and we are recognizing that hey survivors are not alone. You know? So that's what I'm talking about today. So being a survivor of Me Too, breaking chains, and how deep sometimes you have to go to break those chains. So I can only speak from my own personal experiences and my observations, of course. And I realized that Before I even was in preschool, I had witnessed a lot of physical abuse and been a part of it at the hands of my alleged father. But he wasn't the first person to abuse my mother, and he wasn't the last one either. She somehow became used to it as a part of her life experience because she was introduced to it at such a very young age.
what I know from her mouth to my ears is that my grandmother passed her mom when she was just nine years old. And at that point in time, my grandfather decided to remarry a woman named Alice. This woman named Alice came into the home with her two sons. And she was physically abusive to my mother. And her sons were sexually abusive to my mother. And this carried on from the age of nine of my mom until, I believe, 14 when she finally ran away. And she went to go live with my alleged father's family. And it was no better over there. You know, um, there was a woman by the name of Big Mama. I suppose she's my alleged great-grandmother on his mother's side. And, you know, she did her very best to be protective and be an enforcer and be an authoritative figure. However, Big Mama worked, and Big Mama could not be in all places at one time, so there was abuse going on in that household as well. And my mom told me of an incident when my alleged father actually pushed her down the steps. So I guess he never really wanted me to survive, and he's he's made that obvious now. that he actually just never wanted to have anything to do with me. And those are my experiences. I'm a baby. I'm an unborn child coming in out of the womb, growing into the womb of a wounded brown woman. She can only show me and teach me what she knew. So, at the very tender age of six months, she left me with a very much wiser woman. Not a woman that was a stranger to abuse herself. I'll go into the things I know about her history. But a woman who had left those things decades and decades and decades ago, and who now stood up for herself defended herself, protected herself, and protected her loved ones too. And I was the lucky love baby who came into her household and Marcy Projects in 1983. And her name is Mamie. And Mamie loved me. Mamie was strict. Mamie didn't allow me to go a lot of places. That was Mamie's way of protecting me. I appreciate Mamie's wisdom. You know, her wisdom didn't really allow for me to be as vocal as I wanted to be when I was much younger. And I got a lot of repercussions for being vocal, you know. So I did get my my behind whooped <laughs> by her, you know. Because um, I just had to speak on certain things, you know, and that was just not acceptable in her eyes. Nonetheless, though, I never wanted for a meal. I always had clean clothes. I always went to school. 
always went to my doctor's appointments and my dentist appointments. She was very loving and very supportive. It was my home, you know. She was, for a while, the only mother that I knew. My birth mother would visit me here and there, and I eventually went to live back with my birth mother, and that lasted for a few years. Um, there was still abuse, you know, physically, and I ended up going into foster care after um, one situation, I guess, just went too far that it wasn't as if it was a, a extra hard beating, but it was more so the words that accompanied it, and the words were basically in the form of a death threat, you know, and having your life threatened at the age of 14 with your mom literally like on you with her hands around your neck, it sounds really believable, you know. In hindsight, maybe she wouldn't have done it, but I definitely was too scared to see if she would have or not. <laughs> so I packed up my bags and I, I made up my mind that I wasn't coming back there. And I didn't. I went into foster care. Um, and going into foster care at the age of 14, I felt like no one was there for me. No one was there for me. No one cared for me, you know. And I began to live a very promiscuous life, which halted very early because I became pregnant. <laughs> and I knew even at that young age the importance of the new journey that I was embarking upon because as a little, little girl, one thing I've always desired and wanted was having my own family, you know, being happily married and having lots of children and, you know, I don't know, maybe I watch the Cosby show too much, I'm not sure, but I know that <laughs> it's definitely something that was innate into my psyche and it wasn't like I, I was seeing it in, you know, day-to-day -day experiences, you know, it's just something that I, I wanted, you know. So I felt like me conceiving at such a young age was actually uh, a gift and an opportunity from God. And I really, 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 really um, decided to stop. Do, I'm doing a show. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I apologize. He didn't know I was doing a show. I didn't realize he was going to wake up this early. Um, anyway, that's life, people. It's real life. I'm a real person. <laughs> so anyway, nonetheless, um, I, I I just made different life decisions from that point. You know, I was still young, you know, but um, I did my very best to be the best mother that I could possibly be. Um, I ultimately left foster care, um, and there's a lot of things that went on in there, but nobody violated me in, in foster care. I can say that much. There were staff members who I believe were were verbally abusive, you know, but um, that's the extent of that, you know, and their perspective, they wanted to make sure that 
you know, the young girls were safe, you know. And, of course, we knew everything, you know. And I really knew everything. I was working, you know. I went and got my GED. I was in college. So now, fast forward, I'm 16. I'm in college. I'm working. And I got a baby. Like, I was doing it. <laughs> in, my, in my young adolescence <laughs> mind, I was doing what I was supposed to do. So nobody couldn't tell me nothing. If I wanted to go hang out at Coney Island and drink 40s on the weekend, I could do that because I was doing what I had to do. <laughs> but I still had lots to learn, obviously. I left at the age of 17. I um, met my first husband at the age of 18 up in Buffalo, New York. I was married the age of 20. He was twice my age. He seemed like, he didn't seem like the ideal partner, to be completely honest. Um, when I first started like hanging out with him, he was just a cool guy, cool older guy. and. You know, I never had that. Obviously, my dad wasn't there. My uncles were never there. And so I didn't have that. So it was kind of cool. You know, I would talk to him actually about my relationships with the young guys I was seeing, you know. And he would give me good advice. And, you know, we would have a good time with each other. And then out of nowhere, he was like, I want you. And I was looking like, Unk, who you want, Unk? <laughs> Even though he wasn't my physical uncle So I looked at him like what Get out of here And he's like no I, I really do And I'm going to have you And I was like what You know the warning right there You know what I mean Because I didn't know that But I know now that relationships take two So it's not just good enough For one person to want the relationship they both have to actually want the relationship but then I didn't know that you know I was just like okay this is different you know and unexpected and then he hit me with the and I've I've streamlined and skipped over some abusive things which I I am going to go back to because there were some abusive things that happened to me um prior to me leaving foster care you know just it didn't happen through the system itself it happened outside of the system it happened with people who were um, who were supposed to be relatives you know um, and then I was living with my mom actually when these things occurred and I'm going to get back to my first husband but I want to come back because I think this is an important thing to bring up um first person to perform cunnilingus on me was a alleged relative's husband. I had to be 14 at the time. I had to be 14 at the time. Um, I might have been 13, you know. And the proposal was like, hey, you want to allow me to do something that's going to feel really good? Nah, I was already active. 
um, so I was 14. I was already sexually active, you know. So I was just, like, curious, you know, like, what they were talking about. This person was a grown man, though, um, and had children of his own. And he performed it, and my alleged relative walked in, and, you know, he just gave her a bunch of hogwash. And I know deep down she, you know believed it you know I just basically pretended to be sleeping and you know um, that went into I, that was my first actual orgasm I never experienced that before you know this was just sad right I was having sex but not having any orgasms but that's what was going on and um, you know it, it was a feeling I never experienced before and even though part of me knew that it was wrong to allow that person to do that another part of me really liked the feeling so it continued for a little while I want to say a few months um and it did progress into more you know and um they were giving me gifts and you know it was it was really a weird time and I would write about it in my journal and my mother out my journal, but I didn't go into details, and I didn't go into details because I already knew how my mother would react, you know, I knew my mother would try to physically, well not try, she would have physically hurted this person, and this man, and she would have been in jail, and I rationalized that I was protecting her, but in, in reality, I was protecting them both, and sometimes that's what um, survivors do you know in the moment we take responsibility and accountability for what's happening and what has happened and we protect the person who is being inappropriate or abusive you know and I don't know what that's about I don't know what that's about you know I haven't worked that really out with a um, therapist or anything but what I do know is that something times what happens you know and I think it's based on maybe the person's self-esteem they feel like they're not really worthy of not being abused they're really not worthy of um really being loved without the extra stuff you know and you feel like that's that's just what they what that's their normal you know what I mean and if they if they have a certain type of heart you know, they don't want anybody to be hurt, even though they, sometimes they don't realize that they're being hurt. You know, they may feel like they deserve that treatment or whatever. So I, I went through that and I and I witnessed that um, yesterday and I get it, you know. I definitely get it because of my own personal experience and... I ended up seeing the person after I was an adult, but I'll get to that part later. Um, so back to my first husband. So um, he was very persistent. I, I eventually gave in. We started a relationship, and when we started a relationship, it was like everything just fell apart. You know, when I was coming to see him, he appeared to have everything together. You know, but you say you really don't know a person, so you live with them. And he made up a a situation 
between um, a neighbor of his and made it seem as if the neighbor was threatening him and he needed to just get away from him and yada 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 blah 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 and now in hindsight him and that neighbor actually were running buddies you know they were heavy into the the drug scene and him being as intelligent as you know he was made it easy for him to Um, hide it from me, you know, I was very naive, because I was never exposed to that, you know, what I see was just kind of from the outside looking in, it never was that close to me, so when it got that close, I didn't know what it was, you know, (coughs) and other people didn't know neither, you know, other people who saw me with them figured possibly I was a part of that scene, which I gracefully never was thanks to Mamie <laughs> Mamie had the fear of God in me <laughs> I was like Mm-mm. not only Mamie but living in Marcy you know I was like I seen those people outside looking all decrepit and sick and I was just never curious to try anything aside from weed and so anyway um my first husband though was into that other stuff and you know I don't know you know and I I think you know you could tell you know you could tell a person's body weight changes and you know when they get around different people and I was a different person I was almost like his escape out but I didn't know I was his escape out you know I, I just figured hey you know maybe this is an opportunity for me to have that family I've always wanted to have so we eventually got married um, and we didn't have nowhere to go so we were in the shelter and he began putting his hands on me there and I left maybe I should have stayed gone but I kept coming back he kept convincing me and I kept coming back and that cycle went on for about six years and then I finally decided like I'm in my mid 20s now and I'm like, what the, what, this is not what, this is not what I thought life was going to be. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to fight every freaking day. You know, I don't, I don't want to do this, you know. You know, people that have addiction problems, when they're ready to go and do their drug of choice, they will create problems, you know, to justify their choice, you know. So he was creating problems all the time. And I was like, this is not acceptable. He wouldn't get a regular job. You know, I was basically the one that was providing for the family and providing the stability, providing the housing, you know, and he was just there along for the ride. You know, he would give me a little pennies here and there and, you know, make it seem like he was doing everything, you know, but a labor ready check is not everything. (laughs) (laughs) and neither is a Walmart check, you know, it's not everything, you know, especially when you are accompanying it with verbal abuse and physical abuse and psychological abuse, it's just not, you know, so, yeah, I finally got fed up and was like, I'm coming back to my home, which was in Marcy, that was my home, you know, my aunt Mamie had passed on, and I saw it as an opportunity to... Um, basically 
be able to heal and restart, you know. But I came, I walked into a freaking war zone, you know what I mean? A war zone of energies and, you know, just nothing like the the calmness and the atmosphere that I had left. Even though the calmness wasn't in my personal home space, but when I would walk outside, we were staying in Pennsylvania when I left him. <coughs> <coughs> The last time, the final time, and we had been all over. We met in Buffalo, <coughs> came back to New York City. Um, so where the abuse started, New York City, pretty much. Then traveled to Jersey, more abuse. Then I traveled actually to Massachusetts to get away from him. Then to Pennsylvania. He followed after <coughs> my fault because I reached out to let him know where the hell I was at, which I shouldn't have. But it was very challenging trying to work, find childcare, and raise two young children. You know? So I did. I let him know where I was. And he gladly came. So anyway, in Pennsylvania, it was just not that type of, um, wasn't the same environment as it was in New York City. So anyway, though, I was still, you know, I had came from there, so I knew what to do and what to be aware of. And, you know, so it was different. You know, I knew what to avoid, you know, but my children, they had no clue at all. You know, they coming from the suburbs into a hostile environment, you know, and, you know, it was just very different, you know, for them. And I allowed a family member to come and reside with me, you know, and the principle of family, the principle of, you know, giving and being there and, now, in hindsight, looking back, I feel like that was a big mistake that I made, you know. Um, and they came into my home, and they were inappropriate and abusive to my oldest child. And I didn't know at the time. I didn't find out so much later. But, you know, if I had made that choice, then it's something that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, my youngest child ended up going into a diabetic coma in her sleep which was very traumatic, you know. So if you're following along, you know, abuse and trauma started at a very young age, and it continued, it continued, it continued, it continued, it continued, it continued, it continued. Finally, when I reached 30, I was like, okay, I need to address all of this. And that's when I began my healing, you know. I was in a space where I just had to be still and I was just like okay I ain't deal with all of this all of this right now and I did bit by 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 bit but imagine 30 years of abuse and abusive situations does not go away within a year or even two years I want to say that it's taking me close to 10, you know, and I 
am able now. I'm definitely in a much better situation all the way across the board in my life. And, you know, sometimes when, when things change, change can happen so subtly, you know, and continuously in a positive way that you don't really sit down and look, you know. But when you sit down and you look, you're like, wow, look at all of this stuff I've overcome, you know. I'm now a business owner. I now have a lot of different credentials. Um, it's amazing, you know. I am financially free now, you know, um, my son, he went through a lot, you know, but he's healing now, you know, and he's doing a thousand percent much better, he just actually came here and did some push-ups, you know, he's looking good, he's feeling good, he's doing good, you know, and it wasn't easy, you know, I had gotten to a point in my healing journey where I was just so... Zen, that makes sense. Peace, peace. I became addicted to peace. If that's the thing, you know, it's like I want peace. I want peace. I want peace. I'm not disrupting it. And you know, he would come in his mess and be like, "That's not realistic, ma." I'm like, "Oh yeah, it is," because I create my reality. (laughs) It is, and. It is, however, there was some truth there, you know. Sometimes, you know, for your peace, even after you have achieved it, you may have to go into battle to keep it, you know, and that's okay, you know, because it's worth it, you know. It's not a consistent thing, you know, but when you are going to love others and open yourself to others, then that's something that can happen. And I'm not talking about others like, you know, <coughs> friends, you know, or even relatives that are like not your parents or your children, you know. I've been listening to Ayala Vance, you know, and she talks about relationships. And she's like, you know, every relationship is temporary unless it's your child or it's your parent. You know, so those relationships take precedent over every other relationship. Not, no, those relationships take precedent over other familiar or family, familial. I think I just made up a word, familial. <laughs> I just said fam and Emmanuel all in one word. <laughs> familial. <laughs> relationships and friends and you know that but the one relationship that takes precedence over all of those over your relationship with your children your relationship with your parents is the relationship with yourself your higher self your God your divinity that that takes most precedent you know so that's what I begin to do I realized when I had that relationship intact, it's really not a cliche. It's really a fact. Once your relationship with yourself is good, you look at everything. Look at your your ups, your downs, your good, your negative, your faults, your accomplishments. You look at it all and you just accept yourself just as you are, wherever you are in your journey of life. 
you start to really consciously start loving yourself, consciously start making better choices for yourself, consciously start doing nice things for yourself, treating yourself, you know, doing things that's going to bring your mind and your your spirit peace and love and joy, you know, things that are going to put a smile on your face, purposely making choices that are going to put smiles on your face and joy into your heart. Purposely investing into your health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health. Purposely doing these things because you love you. You are loving on you. And while you do that, when you start doing those things consistently, they become a habit. Your life begins to change. Every relationship in your life begins to change. The people that ain't supposed to be there will fall off naturally. The people that's supposed to be there will come out of the clear fucking blue. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) On this blue moon, I dare say that they will come out of the blue. So, yeah, that's, um, that's been happening. And, you know, when you are in a good space with you, you set the, the tone of how everybody's going to treat you. You set it, you set it, but you have to set it. You have to set it, not by just wanting it, by doing it, by living it, by being that to yourself. You set it. It's not an easy process. Okay, you see, from my experience, abuse started. I can I can trace abuse all the way from the grandparents. And that's all I know. I don't know what happened to them and what happened to their parents and what happened to their parents, parents. But, you know, it started somewhere. But with me and my son, it ends. It ends. It ended for me. And. I'm making sure to share just as I'm sharing with you guys I share with him so that he knows that he's not his experience was not an isolated experience and the things that he experienced was not isolated and where they come from and how he has the power to end it through healing through loving himself through doing and being his best version of himself So, I want to say thank you for tuning in. And to all those who are survivors of the Me Too and of abuse, you know, stand up for yourself. Start taking your power back. Take your power back use it to heal yourself and to flourish and to love yourself unconditionally I'm about to close this podcast because he you know, peeped in here about two times I might like peep in here again but at least he's respectful of the fact that I am doing a show um, before I go remember I said I would get back to the to the alleged relative's husband I seen him again as an adult at that relative's funeral And he tried to be um, charming, and I refuse to allow him to be, you know. And I held him accountable, you know. I held him accountable, you know. Um, 
we did exchange information and he was like making an insinuation I was like oh, cut it out and I was re- referring to him basically as a relative even though he was not my blood relative he was married to my blood relative well my alleged blood relative I don't know if this person is really my relative or not but you know it was like he didn't get it he didn't get it and sometimes abusers never get it you know they think that their behaviors was okay you know I don't know the mind and the psyche of one you know but I know that with my son's situation we confronted I confronted his abuser and to see if they would admit to it they they didn't admit to it they didn't admit to it they actually um, tried to play the victim themselves you know and they basically told on themselves because without me even going into details many years later when I just mentioned Marcy they got extremely defensive and it's like so many things happen in Marcy why would that be the first thing you go to when I say I'm uncomfortable with something my son told me that happened in Marcy you know I could have been, according to my son, it didn't just happen with him, you know, that the particular thing did, but there was another thing that happened with um, one of their, their actual boyfriend, you know, so I could have been talking about that, I could have been mentioning that, you know, and the fact that they went directly to what they did means that they know what they did, but for whatever reasons... Maybe fear. They don't want to admit it. You know, it's okay. You know, what's important is that I am healing and my son is healing. And I want to encourage everyone who are survivors to heal, to know that those moments of your past do not define you, they do not determine your worth, and you have every right to. Reclaim your power and walk in your power fearlessly. Not angrily, not resentfully, fearlessly. Fearlessly stand in your power and be your best self and love yourself into the best person you can possibly be. And once you become that best person you can possibly be, Keep on loving yourself and get better and better and better and better and better and better. And know that you have the power to stop the cycle. Let's start stopping bad cycles, humans. You don't have to perpetuate it just because it's been going on for God knows how long. We can break these chains. We can stop these cycles. It starts with each individual. I'm doing it. My son is doing it. There's many others that are doing it. So if you're listening to this, if you went through anything similar, know that you can do it. It's a process. It ain't going to happen overnight, even though who knows what's possible. We are in full moon energy. So if you really want it to really bad, and you can really see yourself and envision yourself and feel yourself into a whole reality of people loving you in healthy ways... No more abuse at all. 
ever for you because you're not accepting it and you're protecting yourself and standing up for yourself and so be it have that thank you for tuning into the super tea podcast show